Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. It is a Thursday, December 16th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Special day in the Mertides household. My son, Evan, is 15 today, so happy birthday to him, and hope you're having a great day. Flyers back in action tonight. Looks like a good night to win four straight. Four straight after going winless in 10, and tonight it's in Montreal against the Canadians. Flyers with another opportunity against what you would deem as an inferior opponent to grab two more points in the standings and put themselves back in the mix here in the Metropolitan Division and in this playoff race. Right now, the Canadians through 30 games played, six wins, 21 losses, three OTL, 15 points. They're in the bottom spot of the Atlantic Division of the Eastern Conference. They have lost seven straight games. The wheels have fallen off. The Montreal Canadiens, of course, they went to the Stanley Cup final last year. Team looks far different, though, without Carey Price and without their big defenseman, Shea Weber. They have not won a game since a 6-3 win on November 27th against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they had lost two prior to that, and then won a game on November 20th against Nashville and lost four prior to that. It has been an ugly season in Montreal. They have not won two straight games the entire season. Matter of fact, they've only lost one straight game one time. They've been losing and losing in bunches. And like I said, an opportunity for the Flyers tonight to grab two points in Montreal. They're third in the league. Give up, they give up the third most amount of goals in the league, I should say, at 3.57 a game. When it comes to scoring, they're not much better. They are 30th in the NHL and averaging just 2.13 goals per game. They've got 64 goals on the season in 30 games. Special teams, not much better either. This is kind of the recipe of what it takes to, to have only six regulation wins at this point. Montreal on the power play this year, 12.8%. The Flyers in that category right now moving up a little bit uh, as a result of some power play goals of late, 16.7%. They're 26th, but Montreal not in a good place. The penalty kill when it comes to Montreal, uh, again, through 30 games this season, has not been good. They have the 30th ranked penalty kill in the NHL, clicking at just 71%. For the Flyers, when it comes to penalty kill, they're at 16, right in the middle of the NHL, 80.9%, just behind the Minnesota Wild and just ahead of the Columbus Blue Jackets. So two points up for grabs tonight as the Flyers will take on the Montreal Canadiens, and we'll break it down coming up tomorrow. But I figured it was a good night and a good day to get some Twitter questions in. Now, the Flyers had a 10-game winless streak, the last six of which they lost in regulation, and now they're riding a three-game winning streak with the wins over Vegas, Arizona, and then obviously the other night against the New Jersey Devils where they got a 6-1 win. They've started to score again, so let's get to some of the questions. We start with Bill Leonard. He tweets in and says, hey, Jason, uh, Risto is playing well. Do you agree? And does Chuck re-sign him in the near future to lock him up and keep him away from free agency? Thanks. Uh, I do agree that he's playing well. The offensive elements of his game are becoming apparent. And this is a player that had four years worth over 40 points as an NHL defenseman. Four years in a row, mind you, in Buffalo to boot. But yeah, I think he is playing well. And the defensive elements of his game are there. Uh, he makes mistakes from time to time. But in that second pairing role that he's in, 
he seems to be flourishing. And they're getting a lot of minutes. He's averaging over 22 minutes a night. As far as Chuck Fletcher re-signing him in the near future to lock him up, it's a good question. Um, you know, a lot of times when a guy has free agency on the horizon, like Rasmus Ristolainen does, a little over a half a season away, they want to get to free agency. So to lock them up, they tend to want a little more. But the situation, and if the situation is good here in Philadelphia, and a one that he feels also like he can win, don't forget he spent all those years in Buffalo and did a ton of losing. So if this team does turn this around, this three-game win streak is an indication that things are going to start to get better, even against the good teams, then it would be more likely that he would sign here. So I don't know that there's any urgency to it just now. I think you get closer to the deadline and see where the Flyers are, because he could be a piece that could fetch you a return on an expiring contract if the Flyers are not in a position uh, where they're going to be going for the playoffs. So he could be a piece that you sell off and get something for. You may even be able to get recoup a first-round pick for him. You never know, depending on what the defenseman market looks like and what teams need. Here's what we know about Rasmus Ristolainen, though. He is a guy that will pay dividends in a playoff series. With his physicality, we've seen it time and time again that teams that go on to win the Cup, they have that physicality. So let's go to Doug Thomas. He tweets in and says, Jason, I hear conflicting opinions on the impact of physicality and big hits and whether or not it's actually impactful on the team. He said, maybe I'm old school, but I believe that this is an important element and that physical play excites a team. Your thoughts, please. Okay. Uh, I've talked about this quite a bit, and one of the measurable things, or not really measurable things that Ristolainen brings, is that physicality. And when they acquired him, I did some digging around on and talked to some guys that either are playing still or played in the NHL. So, you know, physicality is something that's come out of the game a lot. It's still there, and we see it in the playoffs and how prominent it is. And that's one of the ingredients to be able to go through round after round of the playoffs to have physicality. I think it's important. I think it's very important. I think the physicality makes everybody on the team feel bigger, feel stronger, feel protected. And I think that's a good element to have. And I did ask a, a current player on the team after they signed Ristolainen, what he thought of the move and also about the element of physicality. And this player, I'll leave him nameless, says, hockey's simple till you over-evaluate it. There are no analytics for fear when you're on the ice. Because you can have all the skills in the world, but they're easily taken away with fear. Tough teams have more room to make plays. Make sense? And that's what he said to me. And he said, don't quote me on this. Haha. But And I won't. But yeah, that physicality does create fear. Not, And it's not about fighting. It's not about hurting people. But it's about skilled players knowing there's a physical player on the ice and having to be very aware of it. And Rasmus Ristolainen is a guy that is not afraid to finish a check. That is for sure. Uh, Dave TX tweets in and says, haven't heard many updates on Moran lately, and he's way behind schedule. Is he making progress? Even if he makes it back, has he missed too much time to even be a viable number seven? I got this question from, from Dave TX and also the Fog said, always a popular question, but how's Moran doing? Is he on the horizon? Uh, last time I had Chuck Fletcher on the podcast, we talked about Sam Moran. I don't know that he is close, and we haven't heard his name mentioned in any of the updates of guys that are skating and getting close. So I, I would imagine he's not. So 
I'm not sure the exact status of Sam, uh, but at this point, it's not something I would rely on. Which brings us to Wade Allison and Tom's question. Tommy's Cold on Twitter says, where do you see Wade Allison being slotted when he gets called up? Now, Wade Allison's name was thrown around a little bit yesterday with the lack of availability now of Morgan Frost because he went into COVID protocol that Wade Allison was a name being considered to be called up. They ultimately decided not to call him up to let him get some games in with the Phantoms, get his game in order before he gets called up. But when he does get called up, I imagine he's going to be, you know, a a third-line winger, perhaps a a guy they can use on power play too. He got power play two-time last year and performed well. And one of the things Chuck Fletcher brought up in his uh, press conference a couple weeks ago, not the one when they dismissed Elaine Vino, the one prior was talking about the power play and not having a flank shooter. And, you know, that's one of those things, an element they don't have is that really good flank shooter. You have it a little bit with Cam Atkinson. Um, he's a bit of a flank shooter. But, you know, guys like Tarasenko, guys like Line, obviously Ovechkin's a flank shooter and a pretty good one. I don't know if you've heard. But Wade Allison is a guy that one of the biggest assets he has going for him is his shot and he is a good flank shooter. So maybe they use him on power play too in that role, not to mention the physicality that he brings. So I think that he'll be called up probably within the next week or so, but probably or so is probably more like this week, maybe even Saturday against Ottawa, uh, but he won't be in the game tonight. But I do be, see him being slotted in the top nine, I would say. Uh, Ryan tweets in and says, do you think this team can make a push and make the playoffs this year? Now, that's a really hard question to ask answer at this point. I know the Flyers have won three straight after going winless in 10. but And I've only seen one game, and that was the game against New Jersey, the 6-1 win on Tuesday night, that led me to believe that some of the process elements of their game are getting in order. They still got a long way to go to get all, everything in order. But the, again, like we talked about yesterday on the podcast, that this is an opportunity this week with the opponents of New Jersey, with Montreal tonight, and Ottawa on Saturday, not only to get the two points in each of those games, but also to get the details and the process of their game, get their game where it needs to be. And at the end of this week, we'll see where it stands. The non-negotiable part is getting the two points in each of those games. They started out well with a 6-1 win over the New Jersey Devils, and the process was good. So the box is checked for one-third of that, game one. Tonight's game two against Montreal. Not, I'm not saying you have to beat Montreal 6-1, to one, but you want to see continued growth in those elements of the game and the details, the structure, the forecheck. We're seeing some slightly different philosophical things out of Mike Yo than we saw out of Elaine Vigneault. And right now, that is working. So if that continues, then yeah, they're not that far out of it. When you look at the Eastern Conference and you look at the wild card picture, let's just say they're out of the position right now to land a one, two, or three seed in the Metro. It's Washington leading the way right now, 40 points. Carolina and the Rangers are tied at 39. The Flyers are sitting with 26. They've played less games than the Rangers and the Caps, but still, that's probably out of reach. That's tough math. But the other two teams, the wild card teams right now, are the Pittsburgh Penguins with 35 points through 28 games. So the Flyers have one game in hand and are nine points back. And the other team is the Detroit Red Wings. They have a playoff spot right now. Through 29 games, they have 31 points. So the Flyers, five points back of that second wild card spot and two games in hand. Now, between them, though, you do have Columbus and Boston. 
and we got to see how that plays out. Columbus is a team that probably won't hang around. They're 3-6-1 and one in their last 10. They're not very good. Boston, however, is really the kind of the team you look at here and go, okay, if they're definitely going to grab one of those wild card spots, and they've played two less games than the Flyers, um, they've 30 points in 25 games, then really that one spot that you're trying to chase is either the Bruins or the Penguins. Are they out of it? No, there's a ton of hockey left. The Flyers have only played 27 games of 82. So there's a lot of time left, but there's not a lot of margin for error. They got to continue pushing. So uh, if they can continue to do that, then no, they're not out of it. But there's still an uphill battle by way of the fact that they had a 10-game winless streak in the first quarter of the season. Good thing is you have that in the first quarter of the season. You can overcome it. The last two times, as a matter of fact, they had 10-game losing streaks. They made the playoffs. Um, Mikey tweets in and says, I will dance for you is his Twitter handle. Good one. Um, it says, with the current age group of this core, do you think Chuck Fletcher is forced to go all in this year and try to land EK65, which is Eric Carlson, or Logan Couture to make this team into a legit cup contender? I don't think you're going to get Logan Couture. He's their captain. I don't think they're trading him. And as far as Eric Carlson goes, I wouldn't touch Eric Carlson with a 10-foot pole. Look at his contract. How the heck can they fit his contract? And no, I don't think either of those players uh, have any chance of ending up on the Flyers. And if Eric Carlson ended up on the Flyers, I mean, he's hurt 90% of the time. Uh, I mean, I know he's been playing this year, but no, I don't think so. Uh, Let's go to Logan G's question. He says... Though I don't think it was A.V.'s fault entirely, a shakeup was necessary. How do you see the coaching situation unfolding going forward? He says, I like Yo as a head coach, but I'm not sure Fletcher has something else in mind going forward. This is a really good question because I think it depends. It depends on, obviously, for Mike Yo how this team continues to respond to him. If they get back into the mix, then obviously he puts himself in a really good light to have the interim tag removed and become the next head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers moving forward. If this team, you know, shows some progress, but ultimately not good enough, it's kind of like what Scott Gordon went to when Dave Haxtell was let go, that, okay, the team surged a little bit, got back in the mix, but fell short. And ultimately, they obviously went to Elaine Vigneault and not Scott Gordon. And Scott Gordon at the time went back to the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. So as far as Yo goes, I'm not sure. It really depends on how the next the 30 or 60 days play out. Uh, but, and going forward, if it's not Mike Yo, who is the next coach? Well, that I think is also determined by the route the organization takes. If they take the the stance that when healthy with Ryan Ellis and Joel Farabee and Kevin Hayes not coming off surgery, that they're a team that can make a push and get into the mix, then you go with a coach like a John Tortorella that can push a veteran group to places and play that, um, th- that they can win with. If it's more of a situation where you're going to kind of turn some things over, let some of the veteran guys walk, draft, develop, and build, then you're probably going to go with a different guy than John Tortorella. Some coaches are builders and developers. Some coaches are finishers. Some coaches are both, not many. But uh, So I think that really is part of the equation as well. So uh, which way they go, I don't know yet. Um, that question can't be answered just yet. I don't even think if we gave Chuck Fletcher a huge bottle of truth serum, he would be able to tell you an answer on that right now because I don't th- I think there's too many variables. Uh, Bahama Mama Enthusiast 
uh, tweets in and says, why so much emphasis on the difficulty of the schedule? This is the world's best league. There's tons of talent, especially on this roster. There's no reason for long skids like they had. If the players don't want to show up, bring in players that are willing to give it their all. Okay, that. how do you do that? You just bring in players that want to give it their all? They want to give it their all, but it's pro sports, and there's ebbs and flows not only to a game, but they're to a season. And they obviously got in a bad way. They turned over the coach, and they had to make some changes philosophically to fit the group a little bit better. As far as the difficulty of the schedule, like I've said, it was a confluence that led to a 10-game winless streak of multiple things. A, difficulty of schedule. It's the hardest 10-game schedule stretch any team in the NHL will see this year. That is part of it. B, injury. When you have injury to Ryan Ellis, your top pairing right side, right shot defenseman, that's a big loss. Kevin Hayes was in and out of the lineup and coming off double core surgery. Joel Farabee got hurt. These are all parts of it. And then you couple those two things, injury, schedule, with a team that lost confidence, was struggling to score, and this league is very unforgiving. When you have those three things going against you, it's just part of the deal. And I will tell you, Bahama Mama enthusiasts, that every single coach breaks up their schedule into small bite-sized pieces. And they look at it and they say, all right, if we have this stretch where we have Calgary, Tampa Bay, Boston, Tampa Bay, and Florida, that five games, okay, five games, there's 10 points available. We want to come out of that. You want to come out of it with 10. But, you know, you feel like it's good to come out of that with six or seven. However that shakes out, two wins, two overtime, whatever, right? They break it up. And there's parts of your schedule that are really tough. Every team has parts that are tough. but And you hope that when you have that tough schedule and those tough opponents that you're playing your best hockey. And maybe they aren't. This sport is not about who you play so much sometimes. It's about when you play them too. If you catch Tampa Bay and they're on game five of five games in seven days, then you get an advantage. The Flyers actually got that. In that 7-1 loss that was Elaine Vigneault's last game, they caught Tampa on a five games in seven days, and they were rested, so much so that Vegas had the game at even money. That's how much that matters. But the difficulty of schedule does matter. Let's Let's not act like it doesn't, because as difficult as a stretch in there, which was Tampa Bay, Florida, and Carolina in the 10 game winless streak, is this week, where you have New Jersey, you have Montreal, and you have Ottawa. The record of those three teams coming into the week, a combined 24 wins, 47 losses, and nine overtime losses. 57 points in 80 combined games played. So, yeah, you're going to have stretches like that. You hope that you're in a position and your team's in position the way they're playing to take advantage of that and survive it as best they could. The Flyers weren't led to the firing of Elaine Vigneault, and it led to them putting themselves in a really disadvantageous position in the standings to boot. All right, that's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily. It's Flyers and Habs tonight in Montreal. We'll break it down tomorrow on a brand new Flyers Daily.